Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy, whether you are a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional. A show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Money across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode seven of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Samuel Money, based in Philadelphia on the east coast of the USA, and I'm joined in London by Chris Lawson. Say hi, Chris. Hey, Sam, how are you doing? I am doing brilliantly. Having a great week, really excited and energized and caffeinated for this week's show. How's your week been? It's been good, good. Um, less caffeine, but um, <laughs> but it's been good. And I've been reading some of the feedback, some of the comments and questions that are coming in from uh, listeners. Thanks so much, everyone who's taken the time to do that. It really does mean a lot. And there's some great stuff in there that we can use in future shows. So um, please keep it coming. Yeah, I would completely agree and concur with that. And we'll definitely reflect them in future shows and perhaps you'll hear a couple of things that you suggested show up in this week's episode. Because in this show, we're going to argue that starting with the how and the key role of building capabilities within the organization is so critical to deliver the promise that modern marketing demands. It's critical now more than ever to ensure the human factor is front of mind when we're doing this. So if you are in the marketing and business world, you've probably heard of a guy called Simon Sinek. He's British and American, but perhaps a bit better known in the US. And around 10 years ago, in 2009, he wrote a book called Start With Why. And I've heard it quoted in meetings, in boardrooms and conferences. And ever since it came out, he's really focused on how leaders inspire great action within their organizations. And he tells this great story of his revelation about Apple, the revelation about how the Wright brothers invented flight, and the Martin Luther King great you know, presentation, I Have a Dream um, presentation and speech. And he has this really elegantly simple way of bringing it to life through these three circles. And he calls them his golden circles, trademark. So therefore, I'm giving him credit there. But in these golden circles, he has why at the center of it. Then you have the how as the next layer of the circle. And finally, you end with the what. Now, the idea here is that people know the what they do. Most know the how, but very, very few know the why, i.e. the purpose, the cause, the belief, the reason the company exists. And he makes a great argument. I'm nodding my head there, but I don't quite agree with him as I look back today. <laughs> He's Listen, I have to be careful here. He sold millions of books. His TED Talk has got 46 million views. Yet, I still feel the idea is a bit limiting for today because in my experience, there's a huge gap and opportunity to actually flip the order. Let's flip the order and put the how at the center of the circle because now more than ever, marketers need help with the how. They need more help with the how. They need help with doing their job, the means of doing their job and the quality of the work that they do because if they don't, their money, the budget or resources are going to get cut. So that's my pitch there, Chris. What do you think? Hmm. Well, it's it's unlike you to be contrary, isn't it, to, for a start? But um, yes, I mean it, it's a tricky one because I always focus on the why. You know, why are we doing something or should do something, and and that's that's really sort of a, a guiding principle of mine. Um, 
And I try to work that out before I get into the how are we going to do it. So it doesn't fit or feel that comfortable with for me as a starting point. But what I definitely agree with you is that it's about planning out those capabilities, planning out the resources, the skills, the time you have to make a difference and, and then cutting your cloth accordingly. Um, that That's very much a sort of start up and scale up mentality where they don't have the luxury of time or mm-hmm. big budgets or, or um, the resources to, to do the ideal picture. So it's almost a case of I've got a certain amount of capabilities, I've got a certain amount of processes set up. How do I achieve what I need to do based on that? So effectively about mm-hmm. you know, the whole agile mindset, a mindset. How do we get something out there? And then how do we adapt as well? So, so I I'd certainly uh, get it from that perspective. I think you're a, a brave man taking on the uh, 46 million uh, text, um, TED talks. But uh, I, I get where you're coming from. And it, it does remind me a bit of... When I was at Inspired Entertainment, which was a it was a uh, multinational sort of gaming company, and uh, my old boss and a very good friend of mine, uh, a gentleman called Gerhard Buda, a veteran of the gaming industry, but mm-hmm. originally from an engineering background, and uh, he used to shout at anyone who would listen, <laughs> and, and quite often those that um, didn't want to listen as well in his Austrian accent, "You must sharpen the saw." Um, Okay. Not, okay, not, that sounds interesting. Yeah, um, that that wasn't meant to be Austrian, by the way, because I know that that's not my um, strongest accent, but but not quite what you'd expect to hear in a digital co- gaming company. But in the context of what we were trying to achieve, it made sense, which is the fact that too much time is spent by busy people using a blunt axe rather than taking time to sharpen mm. the saw. And actually, mm. if we all stopped what we were doing and focused on how we were going to improve the processes or the implementation. So so there you go, working out the how. So you agree with me. Show over? Should we run the credits and, and call it quits? I, I don't I don't think we can ever quite do that, Sam. Um, oh. But yeah, talk to me a little bit about what your approach has been. Yeah, you know, I have made a mission of building a how. I'm biased in that direction. For me, the how is marketing transformation. The how is about the right leadership, the right organizational structure, the right resources, you know, the people, the cash, the data, the best ways of working, the right skills to drive the quality of the work. So marketing transformation is all of those few things. And I'll mm-hmm. give you three steps to doing it well. Based on a global program I put into place for a Fortune 500 company recently. And the first step I would argue is actually creating a simple common language, getting everyone on board on that simple common approach. For example, in the case I've worked on, educating all marketers on insight. Everyone to understand the word in the same way. So the the way we would define insight would be the beliefs and values that drives a consumer that my brand can do something with to grow and have a competitive advantage. So that's what we meant by insight, which meant for a lot of people, they actually had to go back to the drawing board because they didn't have insights. They had facts, they had data points, but they truly didn't have insights that powered their ideas, their initiatives and programs. So that common, simple language is a critical starting point. Which then is why step two is so critical, because 
Equally important is to develop a common set of tools, a common set of techniques, platforms, frameworks, and actions that marketers can actually replicate and put into practical action every day if needed. So if I go back to the inside example, it would be how to uncover insights, the different types of different elements of an insights, how to glean insights from the signals in social and other search data, and not just rely on traditional methods of doing research or panel data that would have three-month lags or set or stayed questions, but you could actually use social to really infuse into your business practices and even how to craft meaningful and actionable insights that go to the brief or go to your creative agency. And you can measure a lot of this. I'm going on a bit about insight, but I feel that's so powerful in driving business growth. Mm. So there's... uh, a difference between saying something weak like it's important to start your day with a good breakfast that's kind of that's just a a fact versus a stronger statement which is more of an insight when mom or when dad gets her day off to a great start the whole family benefits that's much more propelling much more likely to lead to you coming up with a creative or communication breakthrough and then the third recommendation the third step i would put in place here is to make sure that we were connecting with consumers at every point of the journey. And that was a a huge, huge priority. So demanding a consumer journey as a core part of the marketing plan was the unlock that helped us do the how really, really well. And that's really, for me, it's a a quick summary of three three key steps that led to the how transforming Mm. our marketing performance. Um, I like that, there's a lot there. Um, Interestingly, that that fact, I think, a lot of people confuse facts with insight. I think it's it's one of those real challenges where um, you look at the data, you come up with something which you think is black and white, mm-hmm. but but insights is so much more than that. It's the, absolutely it's combining the the empathy, the understanding, that sort of triangulation of the two or three different sort of data points. Some of them might be qualitative, some of them might be quantitative, and that's what gives you the insight. So so I absolutely. I'm with you on that. I'm also drawn to your idea about the the tool set and setting up a toolkit as well, working out what the yeah. best solution tools, platforms mm. are, and then drawing down on that. I think that's a that's a crucial step. Now, you don't want to be um, putting a straitjacket on creativity. I always think that sort of process should be much more about a guidelines rather than being seen as a straitjacket. But I am also a great believer in sort of a rinse and repeat mentality as well, especially if you're applying yourself in non-competing products or non-competing markets. I think that you can often create something that works well mm-hmm. in one market and then rinse and repeat it in, in another market. Um, interestingly, I inspired gaming again, actually, when it was talking about earlier on, that operated in about 20 plus countries across South America, Asia and Europe. Um, so we had a base in Colombia, China um, and Italy was a European hub as well. And uh, my marketing team was myself, three others, including the intern, uh, my head of marketing, a lady called Jeanette La, who continues to work with me on projects now, actually. She implemented a marketing toolkit that could be used across the world. Um, Effectively, we put it on an intranet Mm -hmm. and ensured that we had 
all of the assets, all of the guidelines, right. all of the Makes sort of sense. style guides that could be applied across the whole um, the whole globe and the whole operation. What we couldn't do, of course, is the translation service. We and that is an important fact. Actually, that really, yeah, I'm a really a good point. Believer. Really, really good point that you need to make sure that you bring the local knowledge you're um, into certainly the translations at a minimum but looking at those cultural norms as well so you can you can't you can't template everything 100% but you can certainly get at least 80 90% of it there um, and you know we did that at a cost of less than 20 grand 20,000 pounds and if you think carefully about the resources you have you can certainly make it work um Interestingly, this was also where I probably had the most success at putting the customer experience at the heart of the journey as well and right. using data analysis and insight to help track player behavior and build better games or more profitable games even as a result of that. Um, and again, it was an important fact to combine the the, the wealth of data that we were getting from sort of game playing um and database in terms of what was coming off that with what were people were actually telling us in, in the real world as to how they were playing the games. That's what gave you the insight. Um, so yeah, a lot of parallels there. Uh, yeah. It sounds good. I, lo- I loved, I love the way you, you, you could walk through that example where there, it's a, it's an art and a science, right? There's an element which can be standardized, templated it, and then areas where it clearly has to be locally driven and customized and more relevant, which the language translations is a classic one, nothing worse than having a central translation and then realizing that, you know, there isn't one version of Spanish and different countries have their own vernacular and and mm-hmm. verbiage that they use and you can completely offend people by basically they know that oh, that was not that's not ours that's not how we speak so that was a, a great nuance yeah. there chris and you, you yeah. talked a bit about some of the cultural stuff but you've shared and you shared examples of what worked really well do you have any examples of barriers that you faced in doing this yeah i mean certainly one you just mentioned cultural barrier language um Absolutely. Colombian Spanish. The Spanish is definitely not the same as uh, Spain Spanish. And uh, that's a, a mistake I, I learned um, very early on. Still bear the scars of that one. Um, <laughs> and, and understanding the culture of the different ways of working in different countries as well. So it's, it's, not, it's not even just the customer insight. It's about how you get the the best out of the teams there. Um, I'll give, give you a good example of that. I mean, uh, if we talk about Italy, for ex- um, for example, the, the, the lunchtime culture is an, an absolutely right. essential part of business there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sadly, in, in the UK, still too many lunches are taken at the desk. You know, you get your 20 minutes, you do your life admin, you munch on your um, sandwich, you watch a bit of a BBC or read a bit of a Guardian, you talk to no one, and then you get back to work. It's what a, a sad life. What a it sad is a life, bit of a sad is. life. Now, now, to be fair, a lot of more progressive organizations are actually even banning eating at your desk and creating a bit more of a canteen culture or encouraging people to go out. But but that's broadly the, the norm. And yet in Italy, it's almost seen as disrespectful if you're not taking the lunch. I mean, to be fair, I, I, uh, I felt quite bad for our Italian colleagues who would treat us so well when we went out there for lunch. <laughs> Banquet. 
Exactly. And we'd we'd come come back and we'd return a favor and they'd come in from Heathrow and we'd they go, What are we doing for lunch? I go, Well, there's a prep down the road. <laughs> go, go and help yourself. Um, yeah. but look, putting that to one side, you know, those those cultural norms mm. and those cultural barriers is is quite an important factor. But uh, but the one that has the most dramatic impact, I think, is that perception that marketing is a cost, not an investment. So investing in the how, investing in that support network, the infrastructure, the training, the development is not necessarily highest on any CFO's list or even any CMO who has to make the call um, between sort of sales driving initiatives versus the stuff that you're talking about, you know, the sharpening the source stuff. And, and I think these phrases come really true. You know, can you survive it a little bit longer? But it seems to be working fine. When am I going to see the return on investment? Is this considered sales driving activity? I'm going to prioritize acquisition spend, not engagement. You know, mm. do those phrases ring true to you, Sam? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of sad face on now. Sad face right now. Sounds <laughs> like all the justification to not do any of this stuff. Yeah, but but at the same time, I think, you know, the other blockage is that unless you're a CMO or a marketing manager who is prepared to roll their sleeves up and understand what isn't working or understand what a new ESP gives you or what the upgraded version of HubSpot or Google Analytics will do for you, then it's difficult to answer. So one of the biggest blockages, I think, is CMOs who get too far away from the operations. And and that, of course, is difficult if you're in charge of a multi-million or a billion-pound enterprise. But it's important not to get that far removed. Would you agree? Absolutely agree with that, Chris. And the picture you paint sounds, you know, it could be opinion-driven and perception-driven. But I was shocked to see this year the Gartner CMO spend study showed that CMOs, chief marketing officers, intend to spend 29% of their budget on the marketing technology and only 24% on the labor, i.e. the people. So they're spending more on the stuff than the people for the first time. And that gap is a five percentage point gap and it's probably going to grow even further. So for me, the rocket fuel for this for success are the CMOs who intuitively value the how and they invest in marketing capability and capacity building and they get it and they do it. They make sure that there's money for it. They role model the language and the behaviors and the techniques. So it's not just, hey, go do that training. They're actually in there rolling up their sleeves as you described and right there side by side with you doing it. They use the tools. That means as you described, they actually can go into Google Analytics. They understand how it works. They can log into it. They can pull the data and they can explain it to you. Mm. And that needs to happen at the CMO level. Their priority has to be the rollout and the implementation and the integration of the customer data platform. So it's not just an IT thing over there. They actually treat them, treat it as an initiative. So it's part of the marketing plan. It's just as important as a new product launch or the cost saving cost reduction program. You, you know, one of the toughest tests I had doing this work was a GM and a president I'd met on my very, very first introductory call. Mm. They were part, of, they were running a business and I'm calling them within a minute or so. The president said, Sam, I'm not interested in 
bureaucratic headquarter training with a sneer. He said training with a sneer. So I'm not sure there's much for us to talk about. Ouch. He had absolutely no interest in any of what we've been talking about for the past 10 minutes and any of the stories we've shared. Didn't care, didn't matter, wasn't interested. And you can imagine, that's not the warm welcome I'm used to, Chris. I'm a sensitive guy. I have a soft soul, but a hard, a hard steel as well. And I had to take a step back. I think we talked a couple of shows ago about growth mindset. I had to switch that on and work on my pitch. For me, it was focusing on the data to support the impact of the learning, getting real stories of marketers applying the tools and the frameworks and the techniques, and proving how investing time in a whole day, mapping out the skills they needed in the next three months, helped a team of marketers actually hit their numbers because it changed what went into the brief. It changed what went to the agency. It changed what went to the R&D team and the research team. It changed what supply chain we're working on. When I ran the session about 12, 18 months after that wonderful first call in the market with the GM and the president who said he wasn't interested, I had to kind of remind him of what he'd said and reference that the net promoter score for the program was at a 90 from that team, which was awesome because that's like 20 points higher than the average benchmark we were getting. Mm. And I got a great response from, from him, to be honest. And when I pointed out the success, he said, yeah, I checked around town. You're correct. They loved it. So that pushback up front really forced me to invest sharpen the saw as you described. So I'm not actually complaining about what happened. It made the proposition better and could then become a, a, a showcase of why this matters, but more importantly, investing in the how led to business impact. Very good. And isn't that a great example of focusing your pitch as well? Um, I like that. I think I think there's a, another episode in that in, in uh, its entirety, thinking about that pitch preparation, making sure you're getting your, your storytelling really right. Yeah. So we, we should definitely add that one to the list. That's a, that's a really good point. That's critical for this work, if for the, especially for those non-believers, focusing on that and delivering that, but also having the data to support it. So I fully agree. Pitch and storytelling should be something that we could dedicate a whole show to. Yeah. And, and again, I'm drawn by the fact uh, that, you know, there is interlinking themes throughout um, the, this podcast, the cast series that we try to put together, that need for resilience, um, that need for adaptability, uh, as you say, that growth mindset, that continual learning and, and also just that fact that we were talking about sort of progressive marketeers versus a, a, an old school approach as well. And, mm. and making sure that you're searching out the culture where it is like-minded souls, but, but understanding that part of our job is to bring the whole of the organization with us as well. So yeah, great, great anecdote there. I like that one, Sam. But look, time is getting on. Um, been some great stuff covered, but why don't you just, uh, Take us through three of the key takeouts and reflections like you do so well. Thank you. So for those listening to the show, I would say these are the three things. Get your pens or notepads and things out and capture these three things that came out of this week's episode. Firstly, cap capability and capacity building is a thing. It's a legitimate endeavor. It's a growth driver. That needs to be something that everyone within the organization believes, everyone in the C-suite, especially the CMO, CFO, and CEO. So capability building is a thing that demands attention and priority. Secondly, a point you definitely made throughout your 
commentary in this show is the how demands a toolkit. It's super important to codify that common language and the common approach. That toolkit has to codify the tools, the frameworks, the platforms that's needed to ensure you're fit for today and for the future. And then thirdly, crafting that pitch, crafting that story to ensure there's buy-in and support throughout the organization. And so capacity, capability building is a thing. The toolkit is a priority. And also crafting the pitch and the story to get buy-in, get the resources and to get the success and attention that you need. Great. That's excellent. Yeah, I like that. So next episode, let's just quickly turn ourselves to what's happening next. Um, So we've got uh, a good lineup for the next one where we're actually starting to think about our team, starting to think about um, who you need as your wing person, uh, assessing potential. How do you assess potential? Uh, How do you take risks on those that you're recruiting when you see a spark but not necessarily that finished product? And also, how do you promote diversity in order to improve that diversity of ideas. So we're going to be focused very much on that building of a team and looking at who should be the first hire that you make. Um, And that, again, will apply equally whether you're a digital marketing manager with a uh, budget for a new exec or a new assistant or an entrepreneur thinking about, right, who's going to be my partner in crime. So really looking forward to that. Loads of good stuff to cover off. But uh, thanks for that today, Sam. Chris, that was great. Really energized by the sound of next week's show. And I feel it's going to be some great nuggets of inspiration, provocation, and a lot of juicy stuff that people can put into action. So until next time, Let's hope so. Absolutely. Until next time, Chris, have a good week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.